welcome to yet another episode of the Undiscovered Decade, which is part of the Interjections podcast universe. Uh, I am very proud that we have made it to 20 episodes already. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about uh, movies from the 1990s, and we're currently in the 19th month, but we had our best of, so we're, we're at July 1991, and this month we're covering a movie that... I wanted to uh, present uh, to the rest of us to, to try and get a little more diversity in our uh, decade. I think that up until this point, there was a bit of a diversity lacking. And so I'm pretty sure the director, John Singleton, felt that way as well, uh, which is why he wrote this script and ended up directing it. And it became a big hit and opened up a whole new subgenre of films and everything so uh we're gonna be talking about boys in the hood for july 91 so uh i don't know if if you're if you've come to this you probably know what the plot is uh it's it follows Cuba gooding jr uh, as a young man named trey who uh as a boy at least for the first half he's sent off to live with his father played by lawrence fishburne and he ends up learning about life in the hood and uh, getting to be friends with a, a group of other boys uh, as adults or at least young men played by Ice Cube and Morris Chestnut. And it's just how they grow up and, and what they want to be in life and how, uh, how the world was in 1991, or at least I believe it's, is it 87, 86? Starts off in 87. Okay. Well, no, I think the movie starts off in like '83. Well, when they're boys, yeah, when they're kids. And then, like, okay. uh, so then, then, then it skips. Day. Yeah, then it skips to. There goes the '91. Right. Yeah. So it, it it starts off when he's a kid, like '83, '84. Yeah. And then jumps ahead. But the transition, like where it jumps, was uh, Ice Cube's character. The younger version of him gets sent to juvie. Um, after stealing um and then you know then it flashes to seven years later so that also sets up the tone for everything was how they use that transition by the way great casting for those young counterparts yeah they look yeah. just like them um there is one part of the transition that i appreciate when uh, morris chestnut's character um ricky baker uh, which is also the name of a character in uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, which threw me off when they kept saying it in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, when young Ricky Baker uh, loses his ball, he has a blue jersey on. And when he's an adult grilling, he has a red jersey with the same number. So you can immediately know which one is which, at least for them. Uh, and you pretty quickly pick up on the rest just based on their uh, personalities, personalities, how they behave. Yeah, they're, ticks and everything uh, yeah, so and like also like how things were left off from before exactly like yeah. uh like with the jersey thing he did he was like fond of his football so like, yeah of course he would grow up to be a jock and then like his brother uh when we get reintroduced to him as an adult like he's he's just gotten out of jail and they're having a little bit of a party so like you know who he is yeah and cuba good so has a jerry curl oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah 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 and mm -hmm. then uh, that remains intact yeah yeah and then Cuba Goody uh, Jr. is like the clean cut kid that like, you know. Everyone knows trying to get to college and everything. He was like the William Caulfield 
Our yeah, Paul actually, he's the the stand-up kid. I appreciate all the little details like that, uh, and I think John Singleton was clearly a fan of cinema. I don't know if you picked up on this, but I read that this was his intention that when they find the dead body uh, in the first scene as kids, uh, it's supposed to represent Stand by Me. You know, when the four, oh, four yeah, boys yeah. go yeah, off. I think you brought so, that up to me when we were watching it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I must have said it to you that that's yeah. what I was thinking. And then that turns out that's what Singleton wanted. So he got us to figure it out. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like flipping the switch on what it's like for the boys in, in Stand By Me. This is what it's also like for these four young black boys, yeah. uh, especially in the heart of LA. You know? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, like the whole overall theme is is very relevant today still and powerful in the sense that like it's you know they talk about gentrification of neighborhoods they talk about you know why there's a liquor store and a gun store on every corner and and it's and it, it started asking some very uh relevant questions that for some reason 30 years later are still important. It's kind of like doing the right thing in that way. Yeah, I um, think everyone should see part where uh, their house gets broken into and they call the police and they're very complacent, nonchalant. Even the uh, the black officer who you would think would have a kinship, he doesn't live in that neighborhood. So he doesn't really care what happens there. They're mm -hmm. all ghettoized in this one area. And it's not like, and I know it's, taking like a hard scrabble look at this life but it doesn't other than a, that scene with the gentrification where he's talking about real estate and stuff like that the movie doesn't really lecture you even though there's a couple of parts where furious is kind of like the mouthpiece but uh i thought his monologues were really well written yeah you know, I, love, I love the name too furious styles oh yeah such, a, such a good character yeah. name but yeah he i think was my favorite part of the film Lawrence fishburne uh, that monologue about gentrification, his steady hand teaching his son about fishing and what it's like to be with girls. And when he's giving him a haircut later, uh, it's it's just realistic. It, it made me uh, sentimental for learning stuff from my father. Yeah. And he's not a tyrant either. Like they could have easily made him a tyrant. Mm -hmm. He's very sure. loving, very fatherly. He just seems at the beginning like maybe he was a little laissez-faire and maybe not maybe a bit of an absentee father at the beginning. Yeah. So They're both clearly young parents. He and Angela Bassett, who plays uh, Trey's mother. Yeah. But they obviously both tried to have a good head on their shoulders and teach their son how to be at least yeah. as proper as they could be in, in his parents' eyes. Yeah. Break free of the, the cycle, you know? Yeah, because even at the beginning, Angela Bassett's talking about like, once I get out of the university, you can come back and live with me. And then by the time they do that time jump, she has become successful. And you can see they don't, it's subtle. In the background, you can see she's living in like a, a skylight condominium. Yeah. Well, you can all see the decor of her uh, apartment. Like uh, co compared, compared to the first one, uh, or the first part of the movie where she's introduced. Like she looks like she's living in like a rundown apartment, but then like jump ahead. When you get reintroduced to her, she's, uh, it's kind of chic, especially especially like the uh, you know uh, postmodern like statue in the middle of their uh, room. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they never point out what she does for a living or anything, but it's clear that she like maybe put Trey with his father so she could find her way. I mean, I but get that's the feel- okay. I, I get the feeling that uh maybe Trey like he he chose to stay with his dad. I agree. I think yeah. it's I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think Trey. It it goes against those stereotypes in those movies where like they send you know the kids acting up so they send the kid to live with the deadbeat father as punishment it plays against that entirely but he's not a deadbeat father he's just they separated for whatever reasons people separate and it was just a very realistic interpretation of an adult relationship and co-parenting um but then Furious was just a genuine father figure that Trey opted to stay with. And, you know, that also sets the tone for the movie because it's like, this is not, it's not just like a typical, you know, boys in the hood type story. It's it's like because you you see other interpretations of this where it's very it's it's almost like black exploitation movies. Yeah. I think this but movie would be more like a, um, a coming of age story, but a tragedy. Yeah, well, certainly a tragedy. Yeah, it was it was stand by me, but like yeah. yeah, it was it was it was there were. A lot of parallels to Stand by Me, yeah, which um, is you know a coming of age story. Yeah, but like with with certain plot beats too. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk about the other two guys that are friends with Trey or uh, Trey himself? I mean, all three of them are fantastic actors, and basically, their first film ever. Uh, I can say this is Ice Cube first, right? It's definitely Askew's first. It's definitely Cooper Gooding Jr.'s first. Apparently, when he walked into the audition, he was the first one to shut up. That's how he got the part, according to John Singleton's story. But uh, Morris Chestnut had been a little established. And uh, they're just fantastic right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great uh, coronation for uh, Ice Cube's transition in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, when uh, when musicians want to make that transition, they need to pick something. They got to be very delicate about what they pick, so that they can be taken seriously as an actor. So you don't want to pick like an action movie or a comedy. Uh, a drama, a heavyweight drama like this, is a perfect springboard for that. And his his monologue at the end of the movie, not only does it make the film, it's the first thing you see in the trailer. Oh, is it? I didn't watch the trailer. That's- yeah, I, you know, when I was looking up more stuff about this on the IMDb page, you look at the trailer. That's like one of the first shots in in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Is him talking to Trey on the porch at the end. He basically saying he's going to be another statistic, and he's fine with it. Yeah, that's the thesis of the film. That's what Singleton oh, has show. Not that he's fine with it. It's that he's realizing like how fucked up it all is and that he feels helpless in the sense that like there's not much 
that he can do about it. It's gotta and be a the epilogue. The epilogue wraps up with him like walking off and literally fading into the distance. As the super title says that, you know, he he saw his brother buried and then two weeks later, later he was murdered. Like yeah. a week later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's also like Stand By Me, where they get to show you what happens right. before them. So he wanted to show how uh, different I think it is for Black people. Yeah. Just you don't get to be a writer or you don't get to be a football player. Yeah. So it, it could also be a matter of like, uh, given like, you know, how uh, circumstances are in a neighborhood like that. Um, you could be, you could have a lot of potential, but like, you're going to need a lot of luck too. Mm -hmm. Which I think Trey has. It reminded me a lot of, and unfortunately I saw this first, but Dope owes a lot to uh, Boys in the Hood because it's a kind of a postmodern version of it. Right. And so that's similarly, uh, the, the, I forget the character's name, but Shamik Moore uh, is trying to write a paper to prove that he will be worth something to his guidance counselor so that he can send it off to college. He's like, it's going to be a slippery slope when you start getting stuck in the cycle, like everyone in this movie. So, and everyone in that film is just as aware as Ice Cube is that they're part of the cycle and there's nothing we can do about it unless we all collectively agree to try and fix it together. You know, I don't know. That's what I get out of both films, but I don't know. Like we're obviously not well, here to I think, solve I think, the problems. I don't, I don't think it's like the movie's presenting for us to like solve the problems, but also but at for least us be to, aware. Yeah, to be aware. Cause like um like it's some earlier on in the movie they 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 talk about what like how generationally like they've been screwed over and how like uh the world keeps on going, but everybody just like kind of just doesn't care about like what's going on there. Like they're in a first world nation, but their neighborhoods are pretty much a third world Yeah, nation. that's the point that Ice Cube makes in that speech about like, I didn't see anything about my brother on the news. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that's like at the end of the movie, but like, yeah. um, yes. but like even I like, I think saying. Lawrence Fishburne, uh, uh, Fury Styles, like, I think, I think it was him that brought it up. Uh, no, it had to have been. I think it's in the yeah. gentrification speech. Yeah. No, I think it's before that when he's talking to his son. Oh, maybe around the haircut? Yeah. Maybe around the haircut or when he's, when he's younger. Uh, after they get a, a, an attempted robbery. It's, uh, oh, I know. What you're yeah, they, they have a lot of moments where they have serious <laughs> talks. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, like it's just like, it's very rare, especially even today. Like it still comes up like uh, even like given like uh, last summer during the uh, um, BLM marches, like, yeah, sure. We're getting a lot of like attention to it, but like, we're like, how much attention are we really going to give it? Like, in the next couple of years or the uh, next few decades right because uh, like because we're like still living in that cycle ourselves yeah. as being outsiders like right. we're only gonna we're only gonna notice when like shit hits the fan essentially right and that's the thing with us being available in the pandemic to do marches then yeah. you don't get the chance to do this 24 7 and so people like the three of them get caught up in the cycle because no one has the time to, I, I don't know, save them I mean, or, or focus on them all the time. Yeah. Everyone wants Cause, to Because like, uh, on like one, one, one thing that, they, that is very like heavy handed, like the, uh, 
the cops are supposed to be there to help you. But then, like, you have, like, the one, the one black officer who shows up twice in the movie, and, like, he, he's, he's like a self-hating black man. Like, he's proud of being a cop that beats up on black kids, because right. all he sees are just, like, punks and trash and, like, people not worthy of living. And, like, he, he points a gun at Cuba's head and is like, yeah. like, give me, give me the opportunity to kill you. Yeah. It so, kinda, like, it it's almost like he switched sides. Yeah. yeah, it kind of reminds me of Samuel Jackson's character in uh, Django Unchained, where he's yep. just accepting that he is part of this system and this is what he's going to do in the system. It's almost like uh, during World War II, they had the Sonder Commando. Mm -hmm. You know, the Jews that would help the uh, Nazis. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a Singleton knew someone like that, a, cop, uh, a person that had become a cop and was self-hating and everything. So a lot of these things really happened, uh, or at least were as close as he could get. Yeah, not a lot of the movie has any false notes. Yeah. It all feels very authentic. Oh, another thing is like, uh, that would probably be like very authentic that I think most people wouldn't even think about because uh, given like how people like stereotypically view like the ghetto like if like you and your boys have to go and beat up on a guy like mm. everybody's in it together no matter what but like towards the end when uh they go on that revenge killing go for that like little uh joyride so to speak to find the killers um before they uh leave like cuba's like invested he's going he's gonna go or trey uh yeah. he's, he's he's gonna get revenge but like during that time while they're driving around he's like I guess he comes around. He's like he can't do it, and like uh, he's let out. And a uh, um, I forget. I still care. Do, Doughboy. Yeah, that, that's why I just slipped oh, it up. Double. Yeah. Uh, he 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 lets him out without like a fuss. He's just like, yeah, no, I understand, man. He knows. And then even after he like after Q, uh, not uh, Ice T's character like finalizes the like revenge, it, it, or exacts the revenge. Um, he's like, yeah, no, it's like a good thing. It's a good thing that you did bail because like, this is going to haunt you. Like it's fucking with me and it's only been a few days. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see how like, um, uh, that gang me mentality that people associate with the ghetto, like isn't playing out, with, uh, these friends. And then on top of that, like, um, most, uh, most of like the gangster type kids growing up uh they'll actually look out for the kids that have like potential and like uh have the opportunity to get out they so, go like, into that and dope a little bit so so like uh i feel like there's a there's an unspoken like um level well, behind uh, ice cube's character is like just like no you, you have the opportunity to get out so like why would i let you stay in this car or even force you to stay in this car to uh kill somebody and like yeah. drag you down yeah yeah that's like, uh, there's also the point that everyone grows up together. There's even the kid that asks Doughboy as he's being put into the car as a young boy, uh, what happened, man, is the one that shoots Ricky later. He's the one with the shotgun. Oh, yeah. So at least according to the plot, according to the details Singleton laid out. So, I don't know. It's Oh, yeah. Also, uh, this whole movie, I was anxiety riddled. Because, like, the, the, the intro card was, like, uh, they gave the statistics for, like, uh, how many black men die right. a year. And I'm just, like, 
okay i already like i already knew what to expect from the movie but like i thought that, that, that just that just that just up the level of anxiety by like tenfold like i already knew but then like when the when the house gets robbed i thought orange fishburne was gonna die and he's gonna be left without a father He's gonna like move in with yeah. with Doughboy and, and Ricky, or we well, got that that's one of them gonna die uncertainty kid. that comes with living in uh, that area. Yeah, so I, I get it. He immerses you in that. Yeah. Oh, that's a point I wanted to make. Actually, the immersion of it. He used, I think, such succinct sound editing. Uh, there's there's one detail that I I found where apparently he had guns going off at random points so that when they hear backfiring or gunshots, they would really jump because they didn't know when they would come. And yeah. I noticed that I, I heard all the like traffic in the background everywhere you're on edge. I think that lends itself to have a, this almost soundtrack of unease. And the chopper. Is it, is it weird that I didn't, I wasn't phased or didn't even notice the gunshots going off in the background. That's like, probably how the characters are supposed to feel because it's just white noise to them at that point. Right. You yeah. got the helicopters in the background. So, when, I, when I did when I did live in Brooklyn, I did hear a few gunshots, but like even then, like I didn't like oh. Okay. All right. And yeah. I just want to want to like. I'm yeah. I'm used to it, like, but I was listening for things that might have been like a sound editing. So I was like, man. This is as realistic as possible, I think. It's not, it, they could have shot on a street where gunshots were really going off, but this feels like he, he was intentional on it. So I, I, I looked up what stuff was nominated for Oscars because this was a big deal. John Singleton is the youngest person ever to be nominated for Best Director, but I wanted to look up if any of the sound had gotten in. Nothing, but this screenplay, I mean, they're the best parts too. But I, I just, I want to praise the sound from this. It's, it's one of the best I think I've ever seen just because it lets you in there without, could, without I'm even you could see sound. <laughs> in a film I've ever seen, I, I cut this. Um, but that is also incredibly impressive. John Singleman's, John Singleman's first script, he's just out of USC. He goes in and becomes the youngest best director ever nominated. I don't know if the Oscars were trying to push a narrative, but Either way, it's well deserved. Yeah, and uh, I believe it lost screenplay to Thelma and Louise. Really? Right. Is that right? Yikes. Is that what I saw? And then uh, I believe he well, he lost director to Jonathan Demme. Silence of the Lambs was okay. It owned 1991, so it's understandable. It also made the most money. Yeah. Of 1991, it was like 56 something million dollars from the 6.5 million dollar budget. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I guess that you know goes to establish how even back then, white people were still racist and will go see a white person movie. Oh, he means this made the most capital because this is made very cheaply. This That's made the, this awesome. made the most. This made the most profit. Oh, I, okay. I thought you were talking about the Lambs made more money because, like, oh, like, that makes sense. No, no, no. Look at this pictures, maybe, but yeah. Yeah, no, boy, boys in the hood. Look at Jimmy trying to demonize the white man again. I mean, what can I say? I got to keep you guys in line. But here's the other thing. Uh, do you guys know how uh, Lawrence Fishburne came to be in the movie? I have read of it. Why don't you tell the other I, two? Yes. Swift boat from Vietnam. So John Singleton, the director of this film, was working security for Pee Wee's Playhouse. 
<laughs> and he wrote this script and brought it to Lawrence Fishburne, who played Cowboy Curtis, and Paul Rubens, and get their opinions of it. And that is how Lawrence Fishburne, at the time Larry Fishburne, got into, uh, like, that's how they got in touch. And he basically was like, I want to do this movie. Now, how come the black cop couldn't have been the king of cartoons? Right? Come on. I don't know, man. Jombie was a white guy, too. So what are we talking about? <laughs> Bill Hartman could have been the other white cop. Paul Rubens could have been in it somewhere. Could you imagine if Paul Rubens was in Boys in the Hood? He would have been like the other cop. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only role he could have played. That it wouldn't have been weird. Well, so oh. weird. That reminds me. Uh, that The scene with the, uh, the bad black cop. Uh, he, he, while he's pulling over like Cuba Gooding Jr.'s uh, character, well, why do you keep on doing Trey? Um, when he has him pulled over and like he's like basically about to physically abuse him, sure. Uh, there's a white cop like writing up the ticket and like you could see him in the background very visibly, just like like uncomfortable and like looking to the side and like and he's like not even looking out of the book. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna write this ticket. Yeah. I don't see anything. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we didn't mention at all uh, Nia Long, who holds her own against these other actors. She she was probably the most established of all of them. And I think I think she works so later because of Friday. Yeah, we know her from that, which she works again with Ice Cube. Uh, so that that was pretty cool. But there was a funny thing of note. Uh, that I, I brought up during the film when uh, Trey finally gets with her uh, popped into Jimmy's head the scene in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Uncle Phil reminds, oh, yeah, like, remember to buckle your seatbelt yeah using the like driving as a metaphor since it's a family friendly show yeah. and I was like that's funny you mentioned that because Nia Long is Lisa Will Smith's girlfriend in the later seasons of Fresh Prince so that's kind of funny yeah. and Will Smith was almost cast as Trey well, so, they were also in um in America together. Yeah, yeah, they were. So, kind of fun little connections and everything. And funny that that popped into Jimmy's head. Oh yeah. But uh, it's like remember to wear your seatbelt. Yeah, I thought wear your seatbelt. I thought that stuff was pretty realistic yeah. too. They weren't holding back on the frank conversations about sex. Like his dad knows what's going on. He's not trying to hide it from his dad. You know, uh, they're talking about like. I know we want to get married, but why can't we have sex now? Like you, you see people. You see, you, around you see them being <laughs> teenagers and like how their lives are like playing out. This is what teenagers really act like. So, what? Yeah. None of that hokey, luddy duddy drama bullshit. Yeah. This is like this is real life. Like yeah. Well, also, real life in the ghetto. So. I also really appreciated one moment towards the end when Ricky's shot and Trey comes back with Ricky, with uh, Doughboy, and Lawrence Fishburne gets out of his car and, and Neil Long screaming, like, what's going on? And Lawrence Fishburne, like, has this knowing look like, just step away for a second. We're going to figure it out. It'll help if you step back. <laughs> and she understands, like, they don't talk anywhere else in the film, really. But they understand each other because they both love Trey. 
So I thought that was a nice touch. I don't know if that's the two actors or John Singleton knew what to do. I just, I don't know. I liked all the details in this, like that. So. So yeah, I think uh, overall, very powerful film. Great debut. Shame, the shame his last movie was Abduction right before he died. Yeah, we don't have to worry about the, the later career. He still had some good ones, like Rosewood. I like the Shaft adaptation. I like Baby Boy. Baby Boy's good. Uh, I never saw the second Fast and Furious. It's a shame. But I've heard time has been kind to it. So especially because of the later Fast and Furious, if you want to actually see a car movie, you know, at least that's happening in this one. <laughs> yeah, towards the end of his career, he started to do a lot of... Uh... Guilty Pleasure Action Fair. He also did a bit of TV. He still did, um, what was the last thing he did? I know it was- Snowfall. Yeah, he had been working on Snowfall. I forgot about Four Brothers. There's an episode of Billions, an episode of American Crime Story. That's the one I was thinking of. He did yeah. the best episode of American Crime Story, O.J. Simpson. Yeah, the O.J. Simpson one. That was a great yeah. show. So. So we're with Cuba again. Yeah. Probably why he was able to come on. I'm, I mean, you look at the directors that were on that show, they all had good reason to be there. So, yeah. Uh, I would certainly give this movie an A. It's probably one of the best I think we've seen on this podcast. So I'm very happy we uh, went forward with it. I'd probably go B. Plus. What do you think, Jimmy? I'm going to have to give an A. Plus too. Definitely an A, at least. And when I say A plus two, I mean A plus the number two. So Where? I can pop right. this guy. All right. I mean, it is, it's the first movie that we've watched on this podcast that, like... Socially relevant. Yeah. That, but it, it, it was a deeper resonance than, say, Rescuers Down Under. You know, we've, we've got... What about the plight of the animals? I, I know. It's, that's a personal well, choice. They had their shot. <laughs> but, took them out. you know, it's weird that, you know, we're bringing this up as, as you know, and, and uh, a hidden gem. Yeah, I don't know if it's really, a hidden gem. It's, it's just... Maybe this well, is no, a relevant the gem. Thing, though, it's, it's not a hidden gem. It's the fact that, like, I didn't know about this movie. Right, I think a so lot of people already might not have watched it. Right, but part of that was was my, you know, the, the movies that I watched growing up. It was not something that was part of our entertainment diet. Um, and this movie is more than entertainment. So I feel like it's something that I'm glad that we... I'm glad that I watched it now instead of randomly seeing it as an asshole teenager and being like, ha ha, that's Ice Cube's... I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have been ha ha. I knew, I knew you in high school, buddy. I, I know, I wouldn't have been ha ha, oh my God. But like, this is a I, I, I have a deeper appreciation for the subject matter now. And I'm glad that we watched it for this. So... I want to say, and I think I agree, it was the right point in our lives to uh, find an appreciation for it. I, mean, I, feel, I feel like if we did watch it at a younger age, maybe we would have found it more relatable because 
we were we would have been a, closer to their age. Sure. Like high right. school. So I, I think like me saying that you would have been horrified probably would have been like an understatement considering like now that we're older, like we, we don't have that like youthful connection. Well we're furious his age now. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, Relate more to him. When when did you see it, Corey? Because I know you've seen it before. I think uh, maybe ten years ago. Oh, so that was about twenty six. Yeah. Okay. Still, uh, in terms of like cultural blind spots, like I hadn't seen Do the Right Thing until like ten years ago. So a lot of these movies are coming out around this time from uh, young black filmmakers about their um, their life experience. Uh, I hadn't really seen up until that point, so I. The only empirical evidence I had of that was watching the news. So I didn't really get to hear the voice of budding black filmmakers until I'd seen that do the right thing, mess to society, stuff like that. New Jersey Drive. Right. A lot of those movies came out around this time period. And also I think gangster rap was on the rise around this time. Well, with NWA right before this, uh, yeah, Ice T was relevant back then. Tupac were huge right around this time, or maybe a little after '92. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, I think I think it it was in the back of my mind, but I was a little young to understand what was going on, for sure. Especially with the snapshot into a world that we wouldn't otherwise be privy to. Yeah. Like the Rodney King incident, I heard of it. We were what, six, seven? Right. Maybe, maybe younger even for, yeah. for some of the, the two younger ones. So it, it felt like a different world and I didn't understand Wait, what, why uh, it was happening. When exactly did the Rodney King incident happen? March 91. Okay. So four months the before. The verdict may have come down in the summer. That might have been what I was thinking. Yeah, about. the trial I think happened later or was it the year after? I think that's when I first heard about the incident. Mm -hmm. well, six at that point. Right. And so hearing it in hindsight, I was like, why would someone do that? And only as I became an adult, I even heard what happened. And obviously was even more shocked. But I think Wait. the first relevant thing that happened to a black person was the OJ Simpson trait chase. And I thought, why is this happening now? Why are we focusing on him more than someone else, you know? So, I don't know. I think if if we'd had people allowed to have a voice earlier, maybe some things would have been uh, more relevant to us younger, you know? I don't know. At least we're seeing it now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a worthwhile watch for anyone. You know what's not worthwhile? Problem Child too, uh, which also came out this month. Is that a segue? That sounds like a that segue. Was a segue. I don't know. I feel like Problem Child Two was a good movie. I liked it. When I was a kid, we, yeah. We we discussed the first one. How do you feel it compares to the first one? I don't really. I think I've only seen the second one. I think I've seen like I've seen the second one more than the first one. So like, I have more of a like nostalgia and attachment to the second one. But uh, this movie, <laughs> at least the first one had Michael Richards. That was the one memorable part. This one has nothing. Oh, Junior falls in love in this one, I think. 
There's a little girl who's another problem child. Have you seen it? It was when I was a kid. I stopped, I stopped caring about that movie when I saw better content. Like I emptied the trash file. Yeah, let's move on. Don't worry. There's a better sequel that came out this month. And I think it's probably the biggest box office juggernaut of the year, which was Terminator 2. Pretty sure it is. Um, One of the first Tony, movies. I just rewatched this about two weeks ago. Still holds up, but I still think I like the original a tad better because I think there's a bit of a lull in the middle when they get I, to Mexico. I get it. Uh, it was maybe the first rated R film I ever saw. Then I saw it on TV, but yeah, just the part so, where so it was uh, PG-13. Yeah, I mean, it was edited. Actually, I don't know. If it was edited for TV. I'm pretty sure it was on the movie channel because the the gore was in it. I've seen it. <clears throat> It cuts out like when the knife goes through the stepfather's head. Mm. That's my favorite part. That was probably the most shocking thing I'd seen at that point. So it warped me as a child for sure. Wait, in what movie? Terminator 2. Terminator 2. T2. You know, I feel like that's the one that I didn't see. Oh, boy. When I was a kid, kid, I I collected, they had these trading cards that I collected, but I never saw the movie. Oh boy, you're in for a treat. Yeah. We're gonna show that to you. Okay. The uh the effects are still revolutionary. They still hold up beautifully. No matter what restoration you watch it on. Um I would I would love to have gone into this cold because obviously by the time I watched it, it already been spoiled what role Arnold has and the subsequent sequels oh. if you go back. So they get they even play it. As a as a surprise in the movie where you think he might be adversarial trying to kill John Connor and it turns out he's his protector. Right. So he flips that on his head. Brilliant. I was too young to realize it was a sequel, so I'm coming into it like this is a movie, and she's been I think they laid it out well enough that she's scared of the original Terminator. That you're like, oh well he's not a bad guy anymore. So it was still a surprise for me, not even knowing there was a first film. And then when my parents were like, yeah, there's a, this, he was the villain in the first one. I was like, what? How? Oh, why she was so crazy. Another thing that's popularized that's in about the 2000s, they started uh, appropriating this, that very uh, aquamarine scion filter for mm-hmm. action movies to give everything this cold, steely look. Yeah. It happens throughout the whole movie. Except uh, it's a good contrast for later when they get to the... Um, the refinery where it's all sparks and orange flares and stuff like that. The color palette in the movie is amazing too. Yeah. My, my only experience other than the trading cards with Terminator two was the, the Terminator 4d ride at universal (laughs) with the 3d glasses. Yeah. I I think Terminator two like started my, uh, my love for like uh, James Cameron movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like a, I definitely saw this before I saw Aliens. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah, no, no, this, yeah, no, this was would would have been the first one that I I'd seen. Then I eventually saw. I actually, I don't remember. I think I saw. It had to have been. No, it had to have been uh, the Abyss. Then I saw Aliens. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think I saw it in that same order. I mean, uh, as a kid, I didn't care much for the luddy duddy, uh, you know romance stuff in uh titanic but it was still a good movie 
I appreciate it better now. I still like the first tape better. <laughs> yeah, the first first tape. Oh, or no, the second tape. The second tape. Oh, the second. action. Yeah. <laughs> we all know what the first tape was for. Uh, no, yeah, no, that was just porn. For I women. did see Terminator Two uh, when I was six for sure. So this definitely set the bar high for action films. Oh. And that's why I think I like it more than the first one, but I think they're both about the same in my book. Now that I've seen them both a couple times, I mean, I've seen Terminator 2 maybe 20, 30 times. Mm, amateur. I've seen, I've seen it a lot. <laughs> I feel like I've seen it. I have not. Yeah, so, we got to watch it. We got to change that. This is crazy. Yeah, we got to watch it. One day I want to just go through all of the Terminator movies, including the most recent ones. Sorry. We could stop it too. I still like Claire Danes. I have a soft spot for three. I saw three again recently and it was actually fine. Yeah. There's nothing that bad. I saw one, I saw three, I saw five. I think I see every other one. (laughs) I missed Genesis. That was five. Uh, I saw Salvation. What was that? That was four. That was four. Okay. So I did. I saw one. I saw three. I saw Salvation, which was four. And then. You haven't seen five or six. I think that was it, actually. Okay. Oh, yeah. Is there a six? Yeah, Dark Fate is six. Yeah, I never saw six. It's like completely erased from my memory. That's (laughs) terrible. Yeah. It faced a dark fate in your mind. Yeah. It's going to be uh, interesting to see what they do with the uh, Terminator series uh, after Arnold Schwarzenegger's, uh, you know. They should just end it now. They should have ended three movies ago. Yeah, it's like they should have ended it when he was governor. I mean, he was four. Then he wasn't governor anymore, so they brought it back. Yeah. Anyway. Well, another milestone actually is playing a killer robot. Speaking of uh, Fast and Furious, uh, the movie that was the predecessor to Fast and Furious, and Fast and Furious kind of stole the uh, the template for Point Break came out. Oh yes, which is basically Fast and Furious with some chords. One of the first, uh, I might be the first Catherine Bigelow movie I saw before uh, Near Dark. Never saw Point Break. Never saw it. You've seen the memes, though. The only... Okay, my my interaction with Point Break was the reference that uh, Robert Downey Jr. makes in the first Avengers movie when he calls Thor. He's just like, hey, what's up, Point Break, or whatever. That's yeah. it. That's that's my... Because he looks like a surfer. Yeah, that's, that's my... Uh, Interaction it's better than the plot description would have you believe. Yeah, it's actually surprisingly good. It is. It is surprisingly good for a bad movie. It seems like uh, a oh, bad movie. No. When you're going into it, it's like this is kind of schlocky, but there's some stuff. Other films, Baby Driver, have stolen from it. Yeah, the premise is far fetched, but uh, the action is very stylish. Catherine Bigelow has a really good handle on the the choreography of stuff. Keanu Reeves isn't playing. His stereotypical uh, himbo that he would be yeah. associated with. I don't know. Um, I think actually Gary Busey's actually really good as his part. Oh yeah. I, I feel like the best car movie of all time. Oh, what? Blues Brothers. 
Uh, <laughs> That's the best car, Chase. Yeah. Point Break. Bullet is probably the best car movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Point Break. Surprisingly good despite its campy reputation. Uh, I think this was like Harrison Ford's first time trying to vie for an Oscar is uh, regarding Henry. Witness had the buzz. Right. I don't think he got a nomination, if I remember correctly, but then regarding Henry, he was probably going for it. Written by J.J. Abrams. His first credit. Uh, it's actually directed by Mike Nichols, who you wouldn't associate with something this schmaltzy. But uh, I think Harrison Ford's performance outshines the movie itself. The movie itself is very corny. It's one of my mom's favorite Harrison Ford performances. Yeah, no, he's legitimately good in the movie. She likes that kind of stuff, though. So yeah, yeah. the movie itself doesn't hold up. Um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, another sequel. Actually, this movie, I think this is the best of the three, in, in my opinion. Uh, I think it's got the most creative direction. So it's not a copy and paste redux of the first movie. I agree with that. I watched them back to back with you just last year so that right. I could see the third one. Still haven't gotten around to the third one. Mm. But, you know, it's it hasn't been available on anything. So I couldn't right. get to it yet. It just fell off. Um, but I feel like because I saw them this way as one big film, mm -hmm. and it doesn't miss a step at least. If you no. watch back to back, so I, I don't know if I like it better because I like the plot of the first one. I just right. like the idea of what they do. I think it's it's good that they don't just do some more historical people, right? You know, so I think I think it's a good idea, at the very least. And the scene stealer, William Sadler as the Grim Reaper, mm -hmm. he's terrific. Because up until that point, he'd been associated with. Uh, villain roles because of Die Hard 2 and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, one of the weakest excuses for a comedy came out this month. Uh, sad, sad reunion for Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. It's called Another oh. View. The last film they ever did together. Uh, Richard Pryor is visibly ill during most of the film. Oh, that sucks. Uh, I tried I tried to rewatch it again just to see if my memory was tainted, but it it's an awful, awful movie. I think they only did it just for like reunion's sake. Like, hey, let's do one more before I can't do any more before I get too sick. But the script is atrocious. Mm -hmm. um, actually, an underrated Mel Brooks movie, which isn't a spoof, uh, Life Stinks came out this month. That's not a spoof? No. It's huh. kind of a spoof of Preston Sturgis movies, but no movie in particular. Okay. But uh, it has a lot of the stuff that you would associate with my books. There's a, there's a musical number. There's a song and dance number. Um, there's a lot of slapstick, a lot of screwball comedy. But uh, there's some social relevance, too, about the homeless epidemic. But it doesn't bog the movie down. Uh, and it's actually... Probably in terms of the movies where he cast himself as the lead, I think this might be his best. And uh, 
it still got that Mel Brooks timing to it. This is before, like, you know, he did like Robin Hood Men in Tights, uh, Draco Dead Loving It, where he was trying to do spoofs, but he didn't do it in the scope or the manner of which the movie that he's trying to spoof, kind of like Young Frankenstein did. Or uh, Spaceballs. Yeah, which is. Spaceballs the Star Wars stuff and goes into other sci-fi, yeah. which is nice. Robin Hood could have gone into other. He could have made it look like an Arrow for the movie, but he didn't. You do Camelot. You do uh, I don't know what are what other. High anxiety. He was doing Hitchcock. Right. He, there's plenty to call from that. Right. Um, mobsters came out, which is basically just young guns for uh yeah for the Cosa Nostra it's it's terrible to watch Patrick Dempsey who looks like he's never seen a razor in his life try to act hard-boiled is hilarious uh Young Guns is slightly better but they're both insanely silly yeah this is just like a roll call for uh Dwight Schultz uh all these other like gangsters that you've heard of in like this fantasy realm, like what if they were young, played by a cast from Tiger Beat magazine? It's unintentionally funny. Uh, there was a franchise non-starter that came out this month for Kathleen Turner based on a series of books. B.I. Wachowski. Nobody remembers this. Um, it's it's flaccid. Uh, it's not it's not even a good role for her. Um, she needs somebody like strong to bounce off of. I don't know if she can actually carry a movie on her own. Obviously, those those movies with Michael Douglas, uh, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, and uh, Where the Roses were held together because of their chemistry. I don't know if she had the chops to hold a movie together on her own, yeah. and especially not a movie this poorly directed or written. Well, I mean, poorly directed or written, like you can't really do much even if you do no. great uh one of the best spoof movies of all time came out this month hot shots oh, oh. spoof okay. movies um another movie is probably sheen got associated with spoof movies yeah. after this and i think this is one of the uh it's not even uh the zucker brothers really you associate with this it's like pat proft they're like they've worked together with the zucker brothers but it's not them Jim Abrams, but um, I actually think the movie is really funny. I think it still holds up. It was before they started uh, throwing out cultural references. Before they started throwing out cultural references to get laughs, just acknowledging certain movies. It's mm -hmm. actually, yeah, it's got actually really good sight gags and uh, Lloyd Bridges. Again, steals the movie, just like he did in Airplane. Now we're on the poster boy. Perfect. Oh, yeah, poster boy. Jeff, you're up. Oh, God, no. <laughs> get, get ready for this. <clears throat> All right, buddy. Okay. Yeah, so much blurred out. All right. Jeff, so... Uh, it does not end with the title. I'm going to ask you who that is. Uh, who so that is? Okay. If you could Which one on the hockey stick or holding the hockey stick? Okay. Listen, I don't know what we're all talking about. Like my that. thunder. 
You okay. had the last section. This is me. All right. So we got a white background with a fucking splotchy purple thing because Tristan blurred out the image. Um, Harold in the purple crayon went over there. Right. Harold in the purple mush cover. Um, a blank production. There's a guy in a, a, a tan Carhartt type jacket and a scarf holding a hockey stick. And tied to the hockey stick is someone sort of hogtied like they would be brought to a tribal roast. And we're trying to see, they're hanging upside down. We're trying to see who that is. Yeah, I didn't blur out their face because I don't think you're going to know. I who can't it. make out the face, but it looks like Diane Keaton. They're a kid at this point. So, Diane like, Keaton up, like, with very recognized. small. I've seen this short hair. Now, the guy, the guy. Any holes in escaping this time. I'm assuming the guy is either Tom Hanks or Colin. His name. He used to host a, a late night show. Ferguson? No. Colin Quinn? Colin Quinn. It's either Tom Hanks or Colin Quinn. I like those guesses. Uh, I'm going to have you guess what the film is first, though. Not the title, like the plot. Canucks. I don't. Okay. Some guy. Yeah. All right. It's like Field of Dreams with hockey. And it's a guy that wants to. Like, he was great at the game when he was a kid. He fucking sucks as an adult, and he's trying to like bring back his passion. So he, he picks up his, his youth hockey stick, and he's playing, and then some weird manager played by fake Diane Keaton sees him playing, and they're like, you know, you've got some chops, blank person whose face I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then from that point, he puts her through the ringer because he's really just a terrible individual. And he has to prove to her and the league that he's good enough to play at some point. And then it all falls apart. It all falls apart as they're falling in love. Well, that would be good. That's but my plot. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. Are you trying to make a small boy into something he's not? Is that a small boy? It looks like that's a, a boy. Yeah, that's a boy. I, I don't know. So you just, <laughs> like, okay, all right. Well, then hang on, hang on. File, you pedophile. No, 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 no. All right, I'm going to redo this then. <laughs> it's a guy who's trying to get his stepson to play hockey because he was passionate about the sport as a child and he wants his kid to be in on it. And the kid's just like this super proper prep school dork that yeah. doesn't want to do athleticism at all. Or he's nodding. Well, he's got the relationship right. Yeah. Hey! I'm going to move. We need a scoring system. I need like a little thing popping up in the corner. Right, here. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get you. Okay. Season three. You faked us out with that at the end of the year. You can actually do it this time. Don't worry. I got something planned. So... Here is the tagline. I'm going to open those both up at once. They're the best of friends, and they have the scars to prove it. Doesn't tell you anything. Child abuse. That's oh, a horrible tagline. So you 
you got pretty close to the plot, right? I, I want to say. Uh, you got the relationship right, but not the plot. Yeah. So why don't you tell Jeff the plot? Because the next thing I want to ask is I, I blurred out a blank production because then I'd want you to guess who created this. I won't say who the main actor is in this. Right. They are dating a woman whose son is that character down below. And uh, he needs to come back for, I believe it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving or Christmas break. So they go cross country together. Ah. That's the plot. That's it? That's the plot. It's like playing strings and all. It's a road movie. There's also a bit where is there hockey involved? There is no hockey involved. That's so that's it. a fucking red herring right there. Well, that's your red herring. You inserted into the uh, plot yourself. The hockey stick's taking up half the poster. I thought it was about hockey. No. Right. So. But yeah, no. Like part part of the uh, plot is like this kid's a uh, this kid's an asshole because like uh, he's like, a prep school asshole. So he got that right. Yeah, he's a prep school asshole. But like his parents are divorced, which is why this guy. Is carrying him is dating his mom but he doesn't like him so they're like that's making the road trip all kinds of screwy but like uh the kid has this like severe like loyalty to his father thinking his yeah. dad, his dad like his real dad's a guy but he's a prick so like there's a bit of like a a story like about these two like coming together and then the kid come to a realization that like his dad's a prick but then like uh this like this boyfriend type character like kind of Chevy Chase, if you will. Yeah, he also like bonds with this kid, and then by the end of the story, puts the the like the real dad in his place. Is like you need to be the dad. So he basically becomes the man of the house. Yeah. Right. Oh, and to top it off, he's a blue collar guy going out with a white collar woman. Oh. Yeah. She Farrah Fawcett. Oh shit. Thank you. for acknowledging this. Okay. Uh, so who would direct? Could... What? Who, who directed? Who do you think directed this? That's not the director. Oh, it's just a production? It He wrote it. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Chris Columbus. <laughs> That's not far off. Yes. No, but it's wrong. More. Um, it starts with an A. I know that. I can't. No, it's a blank production. A, a blank? <laughs> no, no, but there's... All right, fine. <laughs> Mel Brooks. No, not Mel Brooks. He already had a movie this month. I don't even... Sidney Poitier. Um, <laughs> His no. follow-up to Ghost Town? <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, I feel, like this, I feel like this is like... A, no, honestly, honestly, God, I feel like this is like a Harold Ramis production. Or somewhere right. in that... that forgotten thing. Harold Ramis. You were closer with Chris Columbus. Yes. John Hughes, of course. He wrote this. So when Tristan said planes, trains, and automobiles, I thought that was going to tip it off. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I didn't even think of that when I said it. Okay. Um, Fail. So, <laughs> never get this title. Get You're never going to get the title. It's similar to that Spice uh, Stallone poster we gave you. Where uh, first before. thing was going to be Stepdad, but that's not the case. It's the prequel to Stepdad. It's his name, right? I assume. Yes. Yeah, so. This isn't really going to do much, but I, I always... John uses the road. What what happens when you go out to dinner and both of you pay for your separate... Going room? Dutch? <laughs> what the... Yeah. 
Okay, so that wasn't really going to be part of the game because it's like uh, <laughs> we're never going to get it. Okay. Um, but that's why I've been. This is me five. with every poster boy. This is poster yeah. right now. It's just the yeah. shrug. So it's not even a shrug. He's he's barely leaning. He's not even shrugging. I, I blurred out the face last so that you could have two more guesses besides obviously Colin Quinn and Tom Hanks. Okay, Colin Quinn, Tom Hanks. Hang no, on. I, I, I want to throw in a guess. It's, he's too he's too tall and thin to be Billy Crystal. Uh, Mel Gibson would be my other guess. Boy, if I was going by the hairline, I just said Bruce Willis. Or or Bruce Willis. I thought Colin Quinn was a really good guess. But do you want to take one guess, Jimmy? Or Dan Aykroyd. I thought Jimmy saw this. Oh no, no, I did, but I just wanna I just I wanna say Ted Bundy. You mean Al Bundy? Fuck. Yeah. God, God damn it. I almost had it. I wanted to throw him off. Give him a red on my own accord. God. It is that O'Neill. So angry. Jesus. I know, right? This is oh. like going to turn into a murder mystery. Like that guy clearly did it. <laughs> it was him in the middle of nowhere with a uh, hockey stick. Yeah. Is the hockey stick at all integral to the plot? No. Does it even come up? Actually, the one sport so thing just, that does come up is Taekwondo. They just chose a oh, He remembers way more of the movie than I did. Threw oh, yeah. Off. This is, I've, I've seen it like twice. Jimmy like, Daly was in it. It was, it's a good movie. It does the voice of Tommy Pickles. Oh. Like, uh, the only scene I remember is then there's a scene where they're begging on the side of the road looking pathetic. He's teaching him how to look pathetic. And then mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there's another scene where they're with hookers. And the hooker's trying to get his ring off. And squirts like um, like hand lotion into his mouth. It's the whole movie's just okay. a misfire. Oh, well. It's funny. Uh, Ed O'Neill had a story about this. He okay. was like, you know what's weird about this? He was like, uh, he was on Letterman and he was talking about his relationship with John Hughes. He was like, during production, before production, I was getting calls from John Hughes every day with suggestions, how excited he was about the movie. Movie came out, tanked. I never heard from him again. He's like, if I was ever in a bar fight with John Hughes, he'd be out the door. Oh my God. Jeez. Guess they're not going Dutch. Nope. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, so, uh, I was trying to think about who we could go with for this month's uh, Picks of the Month. Mm. I figured who was at least my favorite part of the film, Lawrence Fishburne. I know we've now seen two of his films for the podcast because we also saw King of New York, but what are all of our favorite Lawrence Fishburne films? Apocalypse Now. Damn, I was going to pick that one because I didn't want to pick the obvious one that everybody would pick. What's that? Because I'm gonna pick that one. All right, you can pick the Matrix. Hang uh, on, hang on, hang yeah. on. Ah, there uh, it is. Uh, hey, Tris, you might not know Deep Cover might be your favorite when you see it. Well, I'm about to watch Deep Cover, which is supposed to come out next. That's his next one. So we did King of New York, this, and then uh, Deep Cover, the the film that we just bought. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. uh, Jeff Goldblum in it. We're looking now, trying to see anything that I uh, have seen. Apocalypse Now, obviously. Mystic River. Oh, I forgot he's in the Nightmare on Elm Street 3. The 3. 
Event Horizon, right? Oh, Wait, he's an event, event Horizon? Yeah, he's the other guy. Oh, what? Horrible. I've never seen it, though. Have you seen Matrix Reloaded? I love the Matrix Reloaded. And Revolutions. I love all of the matrices. Why? Because I was a nerdy techno-goth kid in high school. Yeah, you were a little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I genuinely looked into wearing a fucking Neo trench coat into school. Oh, yeah, but then bad you would have... back school. then. After the trench coat mafia, bad taste. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't want to take uh, ones that we've already said. I think by now, this is probably my favorite thing he's done. But I'm going to go with one we may have forgotten that's 10 years old this year. Uh, Contagion. Mm. An wow. ensemble cast kind of forgotten after Kate Winslet and Jude Law and uh, mm. yeah. He was also in Predators. I oh, liked him. Yeah, he was. He was the yeah. crazy guy. Yeah, I always forget about Predators. And he's back uh, in the book of Predators. I forgot his. How could we forget his role as Perry White in the DC Universe? I like him as that. I almost said that. It's uh, not really a film though. John Wick. He's, he's, like he's, he's J.K. Simmons. John Wick 2 and 3 is back in there. I've never seen I why are you surprised? Yeah, I don't know. Wait, he wasn't he wasn't Osmosis Jones? Yeah, he was the bad guy. He was yeah. Thrax. I, I, I can't, can't remember that. I don't even uh that's... It was like 25 years ago. Yeah, no, he was the bad guy in Osmosis Jones. Good move. Which I think was the first thing I saw slash heard him in. Mm. Oh, yeah, he was in Man of Steel. That's right. Yeah, yeah, he's very white. You already have... Uh, you, you, you know, one like one the yeah, they went with the ones I would have picked, but, like, I don't know. I, I feel like as a it might be a toss-up between the what like I... <laughs> it's tougher than I thought it'd be. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. How about Cooper Gooding Jr.? His yeah. <laughs> Radio. That was kind of that's kind of a sad movie a little bit. Yeah, I think of... his other than not chill factor. Um, not factor. I'm gonna go with man. Cotton Club Club because uh, oh, that's Cat, a Cat, yeah, because oh, uh, that's a good movie. That's a good one. All right, got some good ones. It's like I, I, I legit, I've not seen all of Cotton Club, but like it's, I have, I have seen the mini the moocher bit. Like watch the uh, restored version that just came out. Yeah, he's real good in that. Uh, so yeah, that's. That's it for uh, Boys in the Hood. Uh, next month, we're going to head over to August, and uh, we have a pick from Jeff. Uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, a film I bet no one's heard of. Uh, remember nope. to rate and review, comment if you'd like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, check out the other stuff we do on the blog, uh, Corey's, uh, what do you call them, Casters? Underrated Gems. Which is part of where we got this uh but yeah i'm excited to find out what this road trip is going to look like next month so uh 
Thanks a for, disaster. Thanks for taking this journey with us, everyone.